faith and life. For some people, they're parallel roads. They never come into contact with each other. One never influences the other. Yet for some other people, faith and life are more like intersecting roads. Often they're running opposite each other, but where they do intersect, wonderful God moments can be experienced. But yet for just a few, the two roads merge into one, and the results are truly a highway to heaven. What does the road of faith and life look like in your world? We're continuing with our message series, Signs of the Times. And uh, I decided as I started working on this message that, you know, for, for the remainder of this series, um, as we're looking at what the Bible says are signs that will, will, will come about that will help us to know when the end of the world's coming, I thought it might be a little fun, or at least if nothing else, a little interesting to look at, you know, some examples of people who've gotten it wrong. Uh, because as, as, as surely as Jesus said, the end is coming, people have been trying to figure that out since the beginning. And everyone who's tried to figure it out so far has gotten it wrong. Um, and, uh, and I guess we need to be reminded of that as well. So I thought this morning and then for the remainder of the weeks, I might just kind of point out some of the more famous of those. And so this week, as we take a look at, at, at the, the next sign of the time, it might be interesting to know the first, like, large-scale person who got it wrong. Um, we kind of think of people guessing the end of times is happening, maybe like within the last few hundred years or so. But honestly, people have been thinking the end of the world's been coming really since Jesus ascended back to heaven. So the, 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 the first like main group that got that wrong uh, was someone by the name of um, uh, Montanus. And Montanus was a, um, he was part of an Asian cult, and, and he was a priest within that cult, and he converts to Christianity, and this is like the mid-100s, so maybe about 150, um, so about 100 years after the time of Christ or so, and he believed that the Holy Spirit was kind of guiding him and directing him and telling him about where the end of the world was going to be and so forth, so he had these followers, and, and he convinced them that the new Jerusalem was going to literally descend um, between these two towns, so his followers left their homes and they kind of sat out there in this plane for a while, kind of waiting for the New Jerusalem to come, and the New Jerusalem never came. So, you know, the, people have been getting this wrong since the very beginning, um, and, and there's been a lot since. My favorite, and I'm not sure if I'm, like, really going to cover this one with you, but um, apparently there was a, um, a, 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 a hen uh, that laid, like, eggs that said, Christ is coming, you know, and so we'll look at that one maybe in a few. But a lot of people try to guess it. Apparently, some animals have as well, uh, and it just hasn't uh, worked out well. Now, if if Montanus would have like been familiar with the scriptures, though, the scriptures have they, they give us some pretty detailed descriptions on when the end's going to come. Jesus himself said he didn't know the exact day or time, and he said no one would. So once again, that's very futile for uh, for us to try to figure that out. But if we're familiar with Scripture, um, and if he was familiar with Scripture, he should have known that that wasn't uh, it wasn't the time back then. Now, what we want to look at the sign this morning is going to come from Matthew chapter twenty-four, verses four to fourteen. Now, this is one that I briefly touched on last week and said we're not going to cover, and we're still not going to. But I, I, I need us to kind of understand this passage within the context of the rest of Scripture. So let's uh, let's take a look at what Jesus says here, as it's recorded in Matthew twenty-four. Jesus answered. He said. Watch out that no one deceives you. 
Because many are going to come in my name, and they're going to claim I'm the Messiah, and they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars, and you will hear of rumors of wars. But see to it that you're not alarmed, because such things uh, must happen, but the end is still to come. And that's what I talked about last week, and I said we're not going to get hung up on. Um, when, when we think of wars and rumors of wars and, 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 and famines and earthquakes and so forth, th- this is like the rainbow was. The rainbow was a reminder of, of the judgment that came and that God wouldn't do it that way again. But the wars, rumors of wars, famines, plagues, it's, just, it's a reminder that the end is still to come. But um, let's look at starting in verse 8 here. Now, all of these um, are the beginning of the birth pains. It's just the starting point. Then, though, and this is what we're going to address in today's message, after the birth pains, after the starting point, now pay attention because these are a series of signs Jesus says is going to happen. He says, uh, you will be handed over uh, to be persecuted and to be put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. Now, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and they will begin to betray and yet even hate each other. And many false prophets are going to appear and they will deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And then the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. All right, so this is what we want to look at this morning. We're not talking about the the beginning signs, but then Jesus gives this whole listing of different things that must take place before the end comes. And what's interesting is as I walk you through this, you're going to see it's happened, it's happened, it's happened, it's happened. It's just about fully happened, um, and, and hopefully it just kind of uh, uh, jumps out at you that way. So the first one that um, Jesus talks about is that you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. Now, you, first of all, be careful how you read the Bible. I had someone ask me this after early service. It, said, it says, you will be persecuted, and I'm like, yes, it does. That's not talking about you. Who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his followers. You will be. We like to do that whenever the Bible says something about David. Oh, that's about me or, you know, whatever. It's about. No, who is he talking to? He's talking to his followers. He says to them, you will be handed over to be persecuted and to be put to death. So that happens. A great persecution breaks out against the Jews that believed in Jesus um, later to become Christian, right? Um, but, but a great persecution happens, a stoning of Stephen and so forth. But then a greater per- persecution breaks out um, after 70 AD. After 70 AD, Jerusalem's destroyed, everything's dispersed, and that's when Rome really kicks up um, a persecution against the Christians as well. Now, we don't know how many people were put to death due to Roman persecution. If you research it, and, and I've been researching it, you can see estimates from a couple thousand to like 2 million. 
No one really knows. We know that they were persecuted, and most guess that it's between 20,000 and 100,000. And, and I'm here to tell you, that's a lot of people. You could, because back then, there wasn't nearly as many people as there are now, so 20 to 100,000 people is a, is a very large amount of people put to death. In fact, you can even think about it in terms of Jesus' disciples. Every one of Jesus' disciples, and you know, if you include Paul, and Paul comes later, um, all of them are put to death except one. So 90% of, of Jesus, um, of the apostles, are put to death. So if 90% of the apostles are put to death, you can believe that there's a whole bunch of other people who are being put to death as well. And when you were put to death in Rome, it wasn't pretty. When you were put to death in Rome, um, some people were um, impaled. Some people were impaled and, and, and their bodies set afire and, and, and like literally the streets were, were lit by uh, Christians' bodies burning at night. Um, in Rome, they, for punishment, for, for being a Christian and not uh, bowing down and worshiping the, the emperor and their gods, uh, you might be sawed in half. You might be crucified. Um, you were thrown not only just in a den of lions for people's entertainment, but other kind of wild beasts as well um, that, 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 you know, they kind of cheered on. And if you had favor with the Roman government, you would be uh, killed the most merciful way. And it's the way that Paul was killed, and that is you're beheaded. So it's pretty bad when, like, the, the good way to die is beheaded, you know, being beheaded. So this went on, and lots of people died as a result of the persecution. Jesus says that there's all these, like, things that must happen, but it's the beginning. But then he says, you will be handed over, and you will be put to death. Once again, he's not talking to me. He's talking to the people he's talking to. That's, that's who you is, all right? But then he tells us, then after that, the next step is, so that happened, okay? The next step is um, that many people will, will turn from their faith and they will betray one another. So that happened as well. So people are being sawed in half. People are being dying horrific deaths. And what happens naturally is, is people are, you know, you've got a choice. You, you've got a choice. You know, you, you renounce your faith or maybe you lose your property, or you're thrown in prison, or you, you, you die one of these grisly deaths. And so not only do people start renouncing their faith, but people start blowing in their neighbors. Like, I, I need to, you know, if you kind of think even like Germany um, with, with the Nazis and so forth, that, you know, that paranoia and everyone's kind of turning in their neighbors. Listen, this stuff was going on um, under the Roman persecution, and, and, and people were, were, were renouncing their faith and, and, and saying, you know, not me, but man, my neighbor over here, I see them, they're going to some secret church or whatever, just to try to be on the government's, you know, good side. And that became a problem for Christianity. And so there's a passage that bothers many people that are in the church. And I know people are bothered by this passage because people ask me about this passage all the time. And it really ties to what was going on with the persecution in the early church. Now, if this isn't a passage that normally bothers you, I apologize because it's going to now. Uh, but for those of you who it does bother, um, I'm, I, I need to bring it up so that I can help you understand uh, within the context of, uh, of what's said. Let's take a look at Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. So Hebrews 6, 4 to 6 tells us this. It is impossible, impossible, for those who have once been enlightened, for those who have tasted the heavenly gift, and for those who shared in the Holy Spirit, 
who've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. So people have a problem because what it's saying is it's impossible if, if you've known of Christ and of his love and of his mercy and of his forgiveness, and if you fall away, it's impossible to come back. And, and I have people hit me with this all the time. What's that passage mean? Because I, I was raised in the church and I fell away, and does that mean that, that, that there's no hope for me at all? Well, I, what I've always said is we always have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. And what does the Scripture say? Well, Scripture tells us in other places, um, Jesus says that, that um, he's the, the, the good shepherd that will leave the 99 behind to go chase after the one that's run away. In the Bible, there's a passage of the prodigal son who, who has, chooses to leave it all behind, but then later comes back. So which way is it? Well, you have to understand what's going on. The, the Bible has a law and it has a gospel. And at times the Bible seems contradictory, but it's not at all. It's just like if all you do in all situations say this is the answer, then people are going to take it to an extreme and, and they're going to take it to something that's not true and, and right. So you have to always kind of keep the tension on, on what God's word says. So you're at a time. And Hebrews is written probably around 70 A.D., just when all this persecution's kicking in. So the, the Christians are being persecuted by the Jews. And, and I use that word Christian lightly because still a lot of the Christians are Jews that simply believe that, that um, they're Messianic Jews. They believe that the Messiah came in Jesus. So you have these believing Jews and quote unquote Christians um, that are being persecuted by the Jews that reject Jesus and persecuted to the point of death. But now you're being persecuted by Rome as well. You see what's happening. People are being sawed in half. People are being lit up like torches and people are being impaled and so forth. And is that how you want to die? No, it's not how I'd want to die. And so the inclination is going to be to renounce your faith. The inclination is going to be, you know what, even if, even if I don't mean it, I'm going to say it to, to save my life. Now, what becomes of the Christian movement? If, if, if Christians in mass start renouncing their faith, even if they're doing it to save their lives, you lose credibility when you won't stand up for something that you believe. It's a problem. And Christianity would have never have taken hold. And so this is all going on in the context when the author of Hebrews writes this saying, you need to stand firm. Don't be sitting there under the threat of, of persecution or being blown in by your neighbors or being put to death. Don't renounce your faith because you're not going to be able to come back. It's the law. And the law needed to be heard at that time. So we have to always understand, you know, uh, who the audience is and what's being spoken and why it's being spoken so that we can understand it within the context of everything else in Scripture. Do you guys get that? I need an answer because this is a big one I get asked about. And I can, I'll re-explain it if I need you. Do, do, are we, you guys with me on that? Okay, a bunch of you aren't. All right, let me try again. Um, you know what? When someone's thinking about going and committing adultery, you, you sit there and say, don't do it. Or, 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 or you know, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. And, 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 and you hit them with the law. If someone's committed it and they feel sorry, 
you tell them God loves you and forgives you. You don't tell someone God loves you and forgives you before they did that. Do you understand that? I, I mean, I'll keep going if you guys don't give me some head nods. All right, you guys understand that? All right. Same deal. Yeah, God loves you, and yeah, you can be brought back, but this is, don't you think about going and doing it, because if you do, you know, it's not gonna work out well for you. It's to keep them from doing it. All right, do, do we understand now? All right, good, good, all right. It's just an important concept that we have to get. Scripture's not contradicting itself. It's just every situation's different. And depending on who your hearers are and what they're about to do, you gotta sometimes whack. And there's not gonna be a Christianity if, if that's not said. All right, so Jesus says um, some things are gonna happen. There's gonna be this general wars, rumors of wars, and so forth. Um, but, but then uh, he says, you're gonna be persecuted, put to death. People are gonna start betraying one another. And then the next thing is, is many false prophets will appear and will deceive many. Now, th th this, is, this is a big one, and this one's been going on for a while, and we're not fully done with this one yet. Um, I don't know how many false prophets that there have been um, within Christianity, but I would say thousands. And so when we look at Scripture, um, we see this one being fulfilled, but this one's being fulfilled uh, over a long period of time, still going on to this very day. In fact, let's just think of it here in America, because I, I don't really have, I, I can't quantify how many false prophets there have been across the world uh, up until this point, but let's think of, think of it just in America. So think about like just the 1990s, um, they, or not the 1990s, the 1900s. There, there was several kind of prominent um, false prophets that if you were alive during that time, um, you, you know, you would have heard about. Now, some of you are too young for, uh, for um, the, the Jim Jones thing, but how many of you remember Jim Jones? Yeah, still a number of you. So Jim Jones, uh, you know, he, he, his started, I think, in the 50s, started in Indianapolis, then it moved to, um, uh, to California, uh, and then ultimately to South America. But, and, and I believe the, the culmination of his ministry uh, ended in the early 70s, where Jim Jones convinced a bunch of people to drink Kool-Aid that was laced with cyanide, and a thousand people died. Okay. Jesus said there's going to be many false prophets. He was one of them. And, and this is just one example, right? What, you know, what's another one from the 1900s? How many of you remember Heaven's Gate? Okay, yeah. So Heaven's Gate, they're the ones that, they, that guy kind of combined Revelation 11 with the two witnesses, um, some aspects of Christianity with basically UFOs. And his big deal was with um, uh, Halley's Comet, uh, that, that following Halley's Comet, it, like in its tail was going to be this UFO that was going to take people um, to the higher level, the higher plane, you know, to heaven. And so his followers, um, and I don't recall uh, exactly how they all ended up dying, but they were all found dead, laying in their bunks with their shoes on, you know, ready to be kind of um, sucked up on the UFO and taken to the next life. And that was like in the... In, in, in like 1997 that that took place. And one that was a little bit bigger that I know all of you remember, or, or I shouldn't say all of you, but you know, anyone around my age or thereabouts, but the Branch Davidians in Waco. David Koresh. 
Remember David Koresh, people saw him as a messiah. They actually, this group started off well before David Koresh. It was in the 1950s. It was a break off of Seventh-day um, Adventists. And, and, and um, uh, you know, the, the people ultimately end up seeing David Koresh as their messiah. Um, and in uh, 1993, um, four federal agents are killed and then like 76 Branch Davidians um, during the standoff at the compound when the Branch Davidians decided they'd rather um, set themselves on fire and burn down the compound uh, than to be arrested and, and, and taken by the feds. Listen, that's just, there were more in the 1900s in America. These are just the ones that you heard about. And that's just America in the 1900s. I mean, how many false prophets have there been? Jesus said there's going to be many, thousands, thousands of people. And remember, false prophets aren't just those who falsely try to guess when the world's going to end. False prophets are anyone that says things that they say God's saying. Remember that, that, that guy, that mountainous guy that I started the message out with, the, 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 the guy that used to be an Asian call priest or whatever? He truly believed that the Holy Spirit was guiding him and telling him and teaching him this stuff. Here's the danger. We, you got to be careful when you're thinking like the Holy Spirit's telling you some stuff because it, it, clearly, like in a lot of cases, it ain't. In fact, like I, a week or two ago, I read, and I did a podcast on this, um, but I, I read an article from a, a fairly respectable news organization. I know they're all kind of a little bit suspect, but whatever. Um, it's, it's one of the more uh, predominant ones. And, and there's a group of big-named Pentecostals that are still thinking Trump's going to be in the White House in March. Now, here's the deal. They, they believe that th th they're prophesying this, that God's told them this. Now, these were the same people that I remember were prophesying before the election that Trump was going to win it. And some of you are like, he did. Okay, whatever. That's not the point. But then they were prophesying that, 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 okay, well, once it didn't appear, you know, he lost it, then they're like, they had to change their prophecy. So then the prophecy was that, um, that, that it was never going to be uh, formalized by the electoral college. And then when that happened, they, they, they prophesied that the inauguration wasn't going to happen. And now they've pushed it back to March. The, this is the same prophecy that's going on where people are guessing the end of the world is going to happen and doesn't happen. And then they push it back again and they push it back again and they push it back in. Listen, I hate it. I hate it when people say Greg says something that Greg doesn't say. I mean, I literally hate it. Do you guys like it when people say you say something you didn't say? Nope. I can promise you, God does not like it when we say he says something he didn't say. And you know what? God doesn't get it wrong. So, you know, if you're prophesying that something's going to happen and it doesn't happen, it ain't God who got it wrong. You got it wrong. In fact, there's some really bad punishment that happens in the Bible when you are a false prophet. And so I just wouldn't be quick to say God's saying things that you don't know absolutely certain he has said. Then the next thing, so Jesus has given us these checklists of different things. Remember, it, it can't come after the persecution. Jesus says more things are supposed to come, including people like renouncing their faith and betraying one another. And, and it can't come then because he says after that, this is linear, right? He says after that, then, you know, the, 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 there's going to be these false prophets. And then he says after that, then, then it's like this general one. And I don't really know a lot what to do with this, but the love of most will grow cold. Now, I don't know if it was this way 
800 years ago or not. But I think it's pretty fair to say we live in a day and age in which the love of most people has grown cold. People are pretty nasty to each other. I know one fundamental change has been with like social media when you can ruin people's reputation and say all kinds of bad things about people. We do it left and right where we wouldn't have before because if you did it before, you said it face to face and you get a broken nose, right? So people would watch what they would say then. So I don't really want to spend more time on this one because it's just very broad, but I think we could all agree this one, this one's in fulfillment right now as well. And then the, the one that I want to spend the remainder of the time is, is that the gospels preached to the ends of the earth. So Matthew 24, 14 says this, and this gospel of the kingdom, it will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So Jesus is like, listen, there's going to be a process. It's going to start with you, not you, them, his followers, are going to be arrested and put to death, which happened. People are going to renounce their faith, happened. Um, you know, there's going to be false prophets, happened, been happening. Love is going to grow cold. It's, it's happened. Now, this one's interesting because it's just about there. The, the gospel will be preached to the whole world, and then the end will come. I'm going to show you a two-minute video that's kind of um, uh, interesting, uh, and it shows the progression of Christianity across the world. What's really interesting about it is you see that the real fulfillment of it really starts heating up within the last 500 and especially the last 100 years. Let's go ahead and play, play it. So this is the last sign, and it's interesting because Jesus doesn't, you know, he's hitting all these others, but it looks like, the, you know, that last one's never going to quite work. And mind you, these words were written 2,000 years ago, so it's, it's just amazing to think that, yep, it happened, yep, it happened, yep, it happened, and in the order in which it happens. That's a pretty bold prediction to say something's going to be preached to the ends of the earth. <laughs> you better hope you got that movement right. And, but that's exactly what has taken place. But, but you can see, you know, with, within the last 500 years, it really took off. But especially, though, within the last 100, most of the globe has filled in. Now, it's not the whole world yet. I get that. We're not in complete fulfillment of this one yet. Um, I did a little research. Um, the Bible has been translated completely into 250 languages. It's significant. It's been translated partially into 1,300 languages. That's as of 2010. Uh, so that's significant as well. Now, what's interesting, as of 2010, there's 2,200 languages that it hasn't been translated into yet. But that 2,200 languages only represents 350 million people. And you're like, 350 million people, that's a lot of people. It seems like a lot of people. It's 5% of the Earth's population. It's not a lot of people. And those people, you saw it on the, 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 the map there, it's primarily India, China, Sub-Saharan Africa, and Papua New Guinea that speak these languages, and, and, and the message hasn't really gotten in there. Now, here's the deal. Jesus can come tomorrow, and, and for me, his words are true. He said the, whole, the gospel will be preached across the whole world. Listen, I'm not going to hold 5% against him. I mean, uh, what's 5%? But, but maybe it's not going to come tomorrow. Maybe, you know, maybe Jesus, you know, it, maybe it's going to be 97.5%, and it's going to take another 60 years. 
Or, or maybe like Jesus, you know, he's not going to settle anything less than 99.975, and it takes another 150 years. I don't know, and I don't really care. Jesus didn't know, but, but the, the, the promise where we're just about, and we really are in fulfillment now, of the gospel being preached to the ends of the earth. But there's something that is interesting that happens as that gospel spreads across the earth that you didn't see on the map is that as the gospel goes across nations, those nations become highly Christianized and, and highly on fire for Christ, but over time that subsides. So much so that like Europe is, is post-Christian, and I'm going to make an argument here in a second that in America, we're post-Christian. So it's like the new car. You're excited when you get the new car. For about a year, it smells like a new car, and you're appreciating the new car. I just realized, this has nothing to do with the message today. My car is like 10 months old. I thought just like, I knew it had that economy mode, but I didn't know it had a separate button for sport. I found that on the way to church this morning, and that was fun. So things are kind of exciting for like, you know, a, a year maybe with a new car or something like that. But then it kind of gets boring or whatever. Listen, it, it happens that way with the faith. And I don't want to say the faith gets boring. There's a lot of dynamics to it. Uh, things that are new are oftentimes more popular. Kids like to rebel against parents. Um, there's just, a, there's a lot of different things that play into why things, once they become Christianized, uh, people become kind of lazy, institutionalized. Things become content. There's a lot of reasons why it happens. It, it just happens. Okay, so, you know, what we have is, is just 5% of the, the earth's population now that hasn't heard the message of Jesus Christ, but we have problems here in this country, and what are we doing about it? Um, a statistician that I like, his name's George Barna, he, he's done research within the last year or so in which he's coming out and saying America has become post-Christian. Now, he's got 16 criteria that if you meet 13 of the 16, it means that, that, that you're not Christian. You have to meet 13 of the 16, okay? Um, some of them are, are difficult to meet, but, but I'm showing you six that should be easy to meet if you're Christian. Let's take a look at those. So uh, do you believe in God? If the answer is no, <laughs> I hate to break it to you, you're not Christian, okay? If you identify yourself as atheist or agnostic, then you're not Christian, Frankly, if you disagree that faith isn't important to life, I'm sorry, that's, that's, that's not a Christian belief. Let's look at three others. If you disagree that the Bible's accurate, you're calling God's word wrong, I, I, I'm not comfortable with that. If you think that Jesus committed sins and you don't feel a responsibility to share your faith, listen, there's, there's 16 of these, but I showed you six because these are the six no-brainers. And so everyone that's about to fall in this category has to hit at least three of these. So they're not Christian, okay? Now, let's take a look at where places, these are cities in America. This, this was done like a year ago. These are cities in America that over 50% of the people answered that they agreed to these, that they don't believe in God. So these cities are post-Christian. The majority of the people aren't Christian that live there. Springfield, Portland, Providence, you, you, you see them. You know, a lot of them are northeast, you kind of would expect. Northwest, you would kind of expect that. There's some interesting ones in there. Um, you've got uh, Florida in there. 
You've got a city in Arizona in there. You've got a city in Wisconsin in there. Some of these would be surprising. There's a whole lot in the 40s. Honestly, like Texas fares pretty well. It's still kind of the Bible belt around here. It's why you don't really appreciate that I say our country's really post-Christian. Um, I, I, think, I think the, the most uh, was uh, El Paso, if I remember right. San Antonio was closely behind. Um, and it was like 38, 39% was not Christian. It's pretty significant for the Bible belt. And here's what I want to challenge you with as we just kind of wrap this up this morning is, you know, you got friends who aren't really going to church and maybe who don't believe a lot of those things. What are you doing about it? You got coworkers. You got neighbors. You see, we're excited. People are giving their life. People are living in poverty because they're in places like China, India, uh, Papua New Guinea. They're, they're in these places that are not great places to be, trying to get the Bible into there, trying to teach Christ. We want them to do it because the world's going to come to an end. They're living in poverty. They're, they're being put to death. They're being imprisoned. And, and we back home are living in a post-Christian world. What are we doing about it? You know, there's all these, like, stories of, you know, the good that people were doing um, during Snowmageddon, like, last week, right? Someone's telling me, yeah, uh, uh, this person they saw, they were out of town, and, 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 and water was pouring out of their house, so they went and they turned the water off, and, and then they went, to, uh, they went to seven different homes on the, on the street, and they're turning off everyone's water, and everyone's coming together, fixing this and fixing that and doing that, and that's all good. It's all great. I'm not mocking, and I'm not saying that we, we should, but why aren't we, like, running across the street, like, trying to share the message of Christ to people who, in a post-Christian world, are going to be going to hell because they don't believe that Jesus is God? And I mean, we want people to be given their life in, in, in Africa and Papua New Guinea and all these other places. We want them to live in po poverty. We want them to be in germ-infested huts as they're taking the message, but we won't go across the street. Listen, we shouldn't be turning the water off to our neighbors' homes. We need to be going out there and turning it on, the living water of Jesus Christ to them, right? Right? Or do I need to re-explain that one? <laughs> all right, thank you. And that's just what I want you to wrestle with. One that like, wow, this is crazy because you've got these series of things that Jesus said 2,000 years ago were gonna take place. And they did. And they did in the order in which he said that they would. And we're just about there. But while we're waiting for that last 2.5%, 4%, 5% to be taken care of, what are we doing about it in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and amongst our friends? if you care enough about them that you care if their pipes are going to get frozen, care about their spiritual um, well-being as well. Would you join me in a word of prayer? First of all, Almighty God, we just thank and praise you uh, for, this, uh, for this morning and to be able to hear this word. And, and I just pray that, you know, as we are a part of this church, light of the world, that we would be a light to the world around us. And that as we eagerly await the, the, uh, the coming of our Savior, um, that we would be hard at work in this country because there's so many people who've, um, who aren't Christian. It, you know, it, it's easy to think that everyone is, um, but they're not. 
and let us be as passionate about our neighbor as those missionaries are um, that are uh, trying to reach that last 5%. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Certainly good seeing everyone today. If uh, there's anything weighing heavily on your heart or uh, mind this morning, Laura's headed, uh, she's actually back there to the back, and uh, she'd be honored and privileged to pray with you, for you, and over you. Um, I hope to see you guys on Wednesday for our Wednesday night programming. If not, we look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Um, have a great day. Thank you.